Dawson, dear. Yes, Natalie. It is time for another episode of Romantic Truth. Gina, start the countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. Terminator activated. We welcome you to the Romantic Truth podcast. The content of this podcast is intended for an adult audience due to the nature of sensitive subject matter and topics. Share the experience of Romantic Truth with friends on Google, CastBox, Spotify, Podcast Addict, Radio Public, Breakers, Apple, or any other podcast platform. Just type in Romantic Truth in the search and subscribe. Now, here is the host of Romantic Truth, Jowson. All right, folks, Jocelyn here, Romantic Truth, Las Vegas, February 19th, 2022. We are moving on. And uh, let's look at it. This month, that we're going day for day on the podcast. Last month, we did approximately 31 podcasts. And uh, this month, we're doing 28 for the whole month. What we're thinking about doing, and we're going to see, we're thinking about maybe doing these about three times a week. We're still debating it. The reason being, I want to restructure a few things on the show. So we'll think about it. If we are going to do it, we'll probably start in March. But... It's still out to debate. I'll let you know before March as to what we're going to do. But no matter what, the podcast is here to stay. And we're going to see whether or not, instead of daily, if we could do it maybe a little bit more spread out. Maybe three times a week. So it'll be three podcasts per week, roughly. And that'll be about 12 podcasts for the month. And we're still debating that. We'll see what we can do on it. That goes. Of course, it's going to be engaging. And it's going to deal with dating and relationships. That's what we do. All right. Now, I was looking at some of the stats. And it's just a little housekeeping here. The majority of people that listen to us are listening to us on iPhones. Which I thought was pretty neat. Pretty cool. The largest number of listeners we have outside of the United States, and we have about 73% of our audience in the U.S., with the concentration being in Las Vegas and then expanding out. As you know, this is a global show, so we hit all continents, and we can actually uh, podcast out to the space station as well. So no matter where you are, whether you're with NASA, X, uh, SpaceX, or whatever, we're there. Okay, um, so we're looking good as far as that. Uh, demographically, 50% of our audience, no, 53% of our audience is female, 30% male, and I believe 17 to 19% is uh, non-binary and about 1% to 2% are unspecified. Our leading platform right now for the podcast is Apple Podcasts. So 
kudos to Apple. Also, Podcast Addict. Uh, Anchor, of course. Oh, Heart and Soul. And then we got Spotify and CastBox. And it goes on with Google and the rest of the platforms. iHeartRadio, we appreciate you all in the web browsers. Now, what I try to do is uh, look at things that relate to relationships, various topics, issues, subjects, and yes, you write in with your different situations. And we try to incorporate both. And what we're going to stick with mostly are more of informative things in regards to relationships. We'll still do your uh, emails, but what we're going to do is we're going to start not making that so much of a part of the show. Reason being, they're harder to process. We have to read through these things. I use a Google Reader to do it, and I have it on another device, so when I read it, sometimes I read according to the pace of the device that's reading it to me. Basically, it reads to me, I read it on air. That's the way it works. And so Natalie and Gina, they help me with some of the screenings on those. We'll still keep doing it, but we're just not going to um, focus too much time on it in the future. We'll read some of them and and go on away with it. But it'll still be an intricate part of the show because we do, you know, want to respond to your questions and feedback on those kind of things as well. Now, age demographic. Um, mainly from around 34 years of age up to about 59 is the largest demographic that we have which is a pretty broad one because a lot of you are in marriages and relationships some of you have been divorced and you're making some life choices now Some of you are at a point where you're at a plateau in your life and you're saying, okay, the kids are almost ready to go to college and maybe things have not turned out the best in the relationship and I would like to get a new start on life. And you're trying to find out which direction is the best. You're trying to find out what's going on out there because... You've been a cocoon of marriage for so many years, or a relationship for so many years. And many of you, when you started dating, online dating wasn't even in existence, some of you. So it's a whole new thing. we got to remember now, it's 2021. We've had technology where... The average person can really get to a computer now for about, what, 23 to 25 years. Prior to that, it was like when I first started dealing with computers. When you had this big behemoth of a thing that only had about maybe, if you were lucky, 24 megs of RAM, if that much. And that was hard driving everything. And of course, now things have advanced. Heck, I've worked for companies in the past that were still using reel-to-reel and punch-down cards. 
For those of you who don't know punch-down cards, they were your computer program that was in a stack of cards that looked like a Scantron sheet, but they had holes in them. And you had to feed them into a mainframe computer. And if by chance you were to drop those cards, good luck with trying to put everything in order for your program to work. And things have changed immensely since dealing with that. Now you don't even have to have the skill sets to even be a developer when it comes to software because everything is done for you. Be thankful. Now, what does this mean for you? What does all of this data and statistical data mean for you as a listener? What this does, it shows you how many people are in a similar situation that you're in when it comes down to the subjects and the information that I address. So, in essence, you're not alone. Now, I want you to think about it years ago, before technology really took off and the PC was even thought of. I remember my first PC. <sighs> that thing was ridiculous. I had a, what was it, a 286 SX. And then I went on and got a 386 SX. But I was moving up, right? Then a 486 SX. Then I got the Pentium. And that time, it was a Pentium 133, I believe. And then I got the Pentium 166 with MMX. Ooh, thought I was badass then. Then we went Pentium 2, Pentium 3, Pentium 4. And then I stuck with AMD for a little bit because their processors were faster. And just, uh, I'm going on a nerd tangent for just a second. Some of you have heard of a Cyrex processor. It was a processor that was made by IBM for a short period of time and several other companies. Sucked. <laughs> it had a thing called a floating point error. You put Windows 95 or 98 on it, on the computer, and you would get this error. And you'd have to send a processor and it had to give you another one. It was a pain in the butt. But we've gone past that period. Now, we're dealing with the modern era where things are more convenient. Now, there's some of you that are still intimidated by technology and by uh, online dating. You shouldn't be. Think of it like this. Before, you used to have to go out, get dressed up, to meet someone, you'd go to a social gathering or something like that. What this does, it saves you a lot of overhead. Now, true enough, the element that you miss is that surprise of meeting that person one-on-one -on -one for the first time where you can make a lot of judgments and assessments. The only thing that's different now is that 
You can't make those physical judgments and assessments until after you've met the person. However, you have more leeway now in order to see whether or not the person is even worth meeting. That's the benefit that you have to use with online dating. So you can qualify them a little bit faster, vet them a little bit better, in that you may find information on them. Some of you ladies Google guys before you start chatting with them. Others of you go on LinkedIn, Facebook in order to try to find out just basic information about them. You're not trying to be a detective, but you want to make sure that you're not talking or chatting with an axe murderer. I get it. So it can be rather intimidating. Getting past the scammers, the cheats, and people that are up to no good. Now, many of these dating sites have a lot of safety tips. OkCupid has an excellent group of safety tips. So does uh, Plenty of Fish and many others. Read through them thoroughly. Because there may be something that one site may have discovered that the other one has not. As far as scams and those kinds of things. You don't have to be nervous. You don't have to be scared. You don't have to be hypervigilant. You just have to be aware. Be aware of your surroundings. Be aware of what's going on. Now, what are the benefits of online dating? A lot of people ask this question, especially people who are 40 and up. The benefit is, main benefit is you can meet more people with less effort. You know, it used to be you could only meet people at a certain venue and that was it. And so your pool of selecting people were kind of limited, even though you were probably more familiar with the people that you were meeting. Well, that's an added plus. In this situation, you meet a lot of people that just moved into town, some that have been here for a while, so it varies. Now, you want to incorporate other things besides online dating, too. Take a dance class, an art class. Um, maybe have a meetup that you'll attend. Now, let me give you a little heads up on these meetups. Many times with these meetups that they have, a lot of these people know each other. So they can become very cliquish. You come there and you're, you know, you're the fresh meet or the new person on the block. A lot of these people have dated each other, had affairs with each other, et cetera, et cetera. So you may be coming into like a fraternity and sorority of people, so to speak. And you want to observe that. And if these people know each other a little bit too well, you may not want to be in that circle. The only reason being is that your personal business will be spread just like wildfire among them. That's one of the downsides now with uh, meeting in person like you used to do in a traditional sense. Because now <laughs> there are some people that are so zealous that what they'll do is meet you for the first date, take a selfie with you, and before you know it's on Facebook, and they're classifying you as their boyfriend or girlfriend. And you really don't know each other that well. 
So this is something you want to be mindful of. Not something to be afraid of, just to be mindful of, aware of. Now, what other options do you have now in this modern dating era? See, it used to be when you went out on a date with someone, a lot of you ladies in a simpler, more uh, naive era would let the guy pick you up and take you home, take you to the date. And that was a big thing. Family would check him out when he picked you up, that kind of thing, admire his car, admire his dress. Well, that's not a wise thing now. Instead, you have to be a little bit more protective. Using your own transportation. You don't want him to know where you live until you get to know him. Because now, our society is a lot more transient than it used to be. It used to be that time when everybody kind of knew each other. But now things have changed. Demographics have changed. There were cities that used to be all white that are now integrated. There's communities that used to be all African-American that have integrated. And so as we relocate for jobs, careers, those kind of things, things are going to change. You look at one of the dynamics that's really going down, one of the social dynamics. When I was out there on the dating scene, there was a club coming up almost every other week, a restaurant coming up every other week. I've been to so many grand openings to nightclubs, it was pathetic. But now things have changed. Now they're not as popular anymore as they used to be. Because the younger generation, they're not populating them as much. Well, you have COVID that has uh, had an impact on our society. So naturally, we have to comport ourselves. It's getting tougher for companies to make money now, such as restaurants and even bars. So we have to go with what we can. So these are some of the challenges we have to face, but there's nothing to fear. Change is good provided that you can adapt to that change accordingly and understand the benefits of that change and not fear the fact that you may have to do something a little bit differently. But the threat is not there. What happens in your mind is far worse than what happens in reality. Remember that. Because we always prepare ourselves for the worst. Doesn't mean that it will happen. Think about it like this. If a human being fell from 65 feet to the ground, that person would probably have all kind of internal injuries, right? Because of our velocity. The maximum we can fall is 120 miles per hour. For a squirrel, falling that same distance, they'd be back on their feet in no time. Same thing with a cat. Squirrel only falls at 23 miles per hour. So he has a better chance of survivability than we do. That's the reason why I'm jealous of the little bastards. But 
That's what happens. Anyway, folks, we'll talk more in a minute. Some of you have written in and they asked me how do I deal with the criticism, the trolls, all of the rest of the stuff. And folks, frankly, I don't. I don't deal with it at all. See, here's the thing you have to understand. There are a lot of people who are hurt out there. And they think the solution is to try to hurt somebody else to make themselves feel better. Their pain does not go away. The reason why it doesn't go away is because they have to do it again, again, and again. It stays there. That inferiority complex, that feeling of being left out, that sense of victimhood, it doesn't go away. Because it is not being treated. It's just like an illness that's not being treated. It doesn't go away. It stays there. So, they have the burden. Not me. Because I don't know them. And that's the distinction. Now, another question was asked of me. This lady who didn't want her email read wanted to know why do people say they're ready for a relationship and then when you want to start one they have this period where they're trying to get themselves together for the relationship and she's been waiting for this gentleman for four and a half weeks to get things in order so they can start dating to even go out on their first date and she asked me what did I think about that whole situation And I told her, simply, you waited too long. Four weeks is entirely too long. I would say no more than a week to possibly two weeks. After that, if they don't have their shit together, walk away. Because, see, here's the problem for many people. It's like you're looking through the store window at a toy that you want to buy. But you don't have enough money to buy it. So when you come in... What you do, you come into a store and you waste the salesperson's time telling you about that toy and you really can't afford it. And once that person finds out you can't afford it, what do they do? They lose interest in you because you don't have the value associated with purchasing that toy which would impact their commission. So therefore, you become devalued. Well, in this same context, you have to devalue that person that's not together. Their priorities are not organized. Now, here's the thing you have to understand. By them giving you an excuse, talking about, I gotta get myself together, 
just wait on me. That's a cop out. They can very well be working on something else that has their attention, that has nothing to do with you, that's holding up your time. Folks, whether you're a man or a woman, if you're facing this situation, the first thing you do is tell the person, oh, you're not ready for a relationship yet. I'm moving on. They're going to say, no, wait, 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 wait. (laughs) No, thank you. You don't have to wait. Your time in your life is more important than their situation that they're contending with because they could have dealt with that well before they contacted you, right? So why put yourself through it? Now, another thing too. Many times these people will try to drag you into a pre-existing situation that you have no interest and no dog in that fight in. Don't allow them to do it. And they will do it in the sense of monetary need, for instance, in the sense of uh, trying to show you off and get you committed to a group of their friends or family members. In other words, the reason why they bring you around these people is because they may have a need of that person that you're trying to date and what that person you're trying to date may try to do is to transfer that need on you. I'll give an example. A lady wanted me to go meet her family and it was kind of soon so I thought it was kind of odd that I'm meeting your family and we've only been communicating for a week. And when I say communicating, I put it to you this way. We hadn't even gone on our first date yet. We were chatting online, and then one evening, she says, well, I'm going to come pick you up, and I'm going to take you to meet my family. But I'm going to take you to meet my family was not in the conversation we had before she picked me up. She told me that after we got in the car. Now, this is the very first time we've met. This is not officially a date. And I'd been chatting with this woman every bit of a few days, 48 hours roughly. So I go to meet her family, right? And as I'm meeting these folks, you know, they're introducing themselves. I'm meeting cousins, aunts, all these other people. Well, her sister needed a ride to work the next day. She ups and volunteers me without even, no consideration. She says, well, you know, he'll be available tomorrow about that time, and I think he could take you. And she was like, could you please? I would really appreciate it. That pissed me off. I went on and took her. And here's the thing. When I took this woman to her job, it would have been a no-brainer. If I wanted to, I could have easily slept with her. But this woman was all over me in the car. So I see you like my sister. Well, you know, dating her is just like dating me, is what she said. We're the same. Then went on to tell me how good she was in bed compared to her sister from people that have told them in the past. And at that point, it dawned on me 
Oh, okay. I see what happens here. They accept hand-me-downs. What hand-me-downs are is that if one person dates a guy in the family, then it's okay after she finishes for the other one to do the same with that same person. After I took her to her job that day, I called a girl back and I said, you know what, I don't appreciate you volunteering me for things. And I let her know. And oh boy, did she go to the victim corner. I can't believe you're being mean to me and you're disrespecting and disliking my family. How dare you. And of course, I took an asshole tablet that day and I said, fuck you and your family. Click. Got tired of it. Because she tried to play the victim. And of course, she called back. Now she's crying, telling me, how could I? I've hurt her feelings and I need to make it up. It's only right that I take her out to dinner in order to try to compensate hung up again. That sense of entitlement, that sense of victimhood. Ladies, men do this to you as well. Your name is not Boo Boo the Fool. Don't let yourself get played like this. She She thought it was perfectly okay. And this is my next thing I will tell you about. Ladies, especially you, you do this more than men do. Don't volunteer your man for something without his knowledge. It can backfire on you. It's happened to me, and I've seen it done with other people. A lady one time volunteered me we had just started dating about two, I say two and a half weeks. Things seemed nice on the surface. She was under her best behavior, very courteous. And what she did, she found out I worked on computers. And so she had already told her mother that I was coming over there that Saturday to work on her computer. Now, it wasn't a situation where she was going to be there with me. No, she had to go to work. So what she was going to do, <clears throat> being that I had Saturdays off, was schedule me for Mama to fix her computer. She drops it on me Friday afternoon. She made this arrangement with her mother that Monday. And Friday, she says, I need for you to do a favor for me. And I'm like, what's that? Well, my mom needs her computer fix. And being a Jew, work on computers, I thought that it was only fitting. So I told her you'd be over Saturday morning, 9 o'clock. I'm like, oh, you did, huh? She says, yeah, and um, I'll make it up to you, whatever that meant. I guess she was, thought she was going to pay me or something. Well, I get over, and mom's computer's jacked up. I mean, 
I got that desktop out. I had to take it out in the backyard. I take the air, there's this air hose. Spray it in there. Nothing but dust came out. I mean, just dust. It looked like a big ass cloud. So I opened up the chassis. All kind of ghost territory in there. She had a little mouse nest in there. Got that out. And this thing really hadn't been cleaned in years. So now, I get everything working. Mama, meanwhile, was out by the pool sunbathing. So I came out to tell her that I was done with the computer. This woman's full on naked, laying on her stomach, suntan lotion all over, has her shades on, looks up at me and says, okay, how much I owe you? And I said, oh, don't worry about it. She gets up, full frontal, no problem, comes over to me to give me a hug. I'm hugging her this time. It's like, I better be leaving here. She reaches down there and she says, well, I thought you'd be a little excited. She started giggling. Yeah, it happened. It happened. And I was young and I was weaker at that point. I admit my flaws, folks. And things weren't too bad. She was like 45 at that time. I thought it was 23, I think. And afterwards, she told me, the mom did. This is our little secret. And I was like, yeah. So the daughter called me back, asked me how everything went later on that night. I told her. But I didn't tell her what we did. <laughs> and she said, oh, okay. Um, well, I'm going to come by tomorrow and I'm going to cook you dinner and I'm like lady uh uh-uh, uh we're not doing that I said you know I don't think we need to be together and she was like well why not well, what's wrong I said you're obligating me to something without consulting me that's problematic well I didn't see anything wrong with it you had the skills you had the time and my mom needed to have things fixed. And I was on the verge of telling on myself at that point. I wanted to tell her, yeah, I fixed your mom, all right, and her computer. And then I started to think, I said, no, let me pull back. And I said, I just don't think it's gonna work out. To this day, she doesn't know why I ended that relationship. And it was just starting out, we weren't really, it was only two weeks in and we really didn't know that much about each other. But it was just her entitlement to commit me to things without even consulting me. And for the record, I did not sleep with the daughter, only the mom. But these things happen. 
And you have to understand when they do and when you're obligated to do something without your knowledge, it's offensive. Remember that, folks. Because ladies, I'm gonna tell you something. You wanna fish a man off? Try that. <laughs> Not a good thing. It's the equivalent of a guy if you get taxes, ladies, like a friend of mine's wife does taxes. And he started telling all his family members to go to her to do their taxes and she wouldn't charge them. And that was totally inappropriate. And she jumped in his ass about that too. So don't marginalize your partner like that. One a moment. question is, asked by Anna out of Santa Clara, California, how would you define cheating? When does it start? And how would you know how to recognize it? I've been kind of gaslighted on this in the past because guys have told me certain things in regards to what is cheating and what is not. I'm 41 years old and I'm still trying to figure it out. Do you have any clarification that could declaratively explain what cheating is? Here's what I go by, folks. It's not about the length of time you've been together. It's about you, the two of you, agreeing on exclusivity and commitment. If that is never addressed, what we do a lot of times is make the assumption that we're together. And this is where a lot of people get it mixed up because they don't say anything. They don't come out and say to each other, hey, let's be exclusive. Instead, they kind of just let it meld on in. And the problem with that is you're confused when those kind of questions come up, when a person is with someone else. So you need to ask for exclusivity. This is the reason why I talk about this in particular, so that in that way, you have defined exactly what that means in the sense that I only want to be with you exclusively. I want you only to be with me exclusively. That means no intimacy, flirting, messing around, pandering, or anything else with anyone else. You're with me, and I'm with you. Can I get that commitment from you? Once you've done that, then anything else that happens that violates that is cheating. But see, a lot of times people don't do that. They just go along with the relationship. Everything's going smoothly. Then all of a sudden, he's with another girl or she's with another guy. And then they say, well, we didn't really have any kind of commitment established. So therefore, I'm still single to mingle. That's their option. Now, of course, if you're married, you've already made a commitment. 
you're under a legal contract to be together. So anything you do in that context is cheating. But when it comes down to dating, this is where you have to set the rules, set the standards, set the guidelines. And a lot of people don't do that. Now, with cheating, there are certain rules that should be adhered to. Let's talk about some of them. You need to define what you would classify as cheating as a couple. The guy may say, well, sleeping with a guy is cheating. But if you kiss the guy, that's not cheating. And the girl may say, well, getting emotionally involved with the girl would be cheating if my man were to do that. But for me, for a guy to take me out on a dinner date is not cheating. So you have to have some sort of point of reference. You know, when we uh, work on projects in IT, guess what we do? We create a dictionary. And the reason why we do that is so everybody will understand what the terminologies are. So you don't have that gray area where a person is misinterpreting something. And so the same thing has to apply with this. So in this way, you guys will understand syntactically as well as by definition what is cheating and what isn't. Now, if you have to have a myriad of conditions, you really need to reevaluate your relationship. I had a woman one time that I dated and she told me cheating was only if we got emotionally involved. I said, so, if you and I were to have sex with some other person, each of us had a different partner, you would not consider that cheating. She says, no, that wouldn't be cheating because we would just be with them for sex. I said, so they would still have the same luxury of a person who's dating you and you still would not consider that cheating. No, I really don't, she said. But here's the thing you have to understand. I define cheating. If a person is getting the benefit of you that I would have in a relationship with you exclusively, to me that's cheating. Because they shouldn't have that kind of access. It's just like being in a VIP area in a nightclub where you have the rope and you have this velvet rope around. But then we'll say the club owner decides to let everybody in. So the people who paid for VIP have been kind of marginalized and they just mix right in with everyone else. The whole thing is to distinguish your partner and yourself from everyone else when it comes down to relationships, to make yourself unique. And the way you do that is through exclusivity. So it's very important to keep that in mind. I had a friend of mine caught his wife butt naked on the sofa when he came home from work legs cocked open had this 18 year old boy between her just tearing it up and she tried to convince him that wasn't cheating she was very lucky because he didn't leave her and I'll never forget one evening we went out I was with Monica and I was with them. We were all together. And we went out to the restaurant. 
And he had wandering eyes on this one lady that walked in. And she was fine. Now, see, the interesting thing was with Monica and I, she would always want me to look at these women. And she would say, honey, you got to look at her. No, I'm looking, I'm just getting, no, no. And then she would turn my head, look at her. That right there, if I were a man, I'd be all in that. And I'd be like, damn. And I'd be saying to myself, well, yeah, true. Well, this particular lady that walked by, she was very well endowed back there and up top. And so he was stealing looks at her. But Monica turned my head to look at her. And she comes out and says, his girlfriend, so you want some of that, huh? And he just looked at me and he said, she didn't go there. And they started up and he brought up the situation with her and this dude that he caught her with. And this is how Monica and I found out the graphic details. He was the one that went into detail about what he saw. Now, mind you, we're cringing because it's like, we don't really need to know this because this is a little bit too embarrassing and too compromising. And what it did, it started up an old wound that they had once kind of settled. And the whole night, she was trying to explain, trying to explain to me and Monica, and it's like, well, you know, we really don't need to be involved in that. She's like, no, 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 no. He said, no, if you had a man that was working all these hours and never paid any attention to you, and there was this young man who had an interest in you, and you pursued that interest in order to fill that void, don't you think that would strengthen a marriage? That was her argument. And we looked at her like she had five heads. And she thought it made sense. She was still trying to qualify something that couldn't be qualified. And then she tells me, well, you guys wouldn't understand because after all, we're married and you're not. As a swipe, you know, that was supposed to make us really feel shamed because we didn't go along with what she said. And he rolled his eyes and said, that made no sense. But she was right. But in her world, it made perfect sense. And so you have people that will throw status and things like that every once in a while at you as a barb. Don't let that shake you. You're better than that. But here's the interesting thing too. A lot of times people will go out and do things and then being that there are no cheating rules in their relationship, they make them up along the way. This is another factor that's involved. Then you have some people who will say, I don't care as long as you don't bring it home. Like the one lady I was thinking about dating years ago, and she says, you know, I'm tired of chasing men out in the street. I'm tired of you know, trying to keep up with him or micromanage him. Just as long as you don't bring it home and don't bring me a disease, I wouldn't care. Well, here's the problem for that, with that for me. 
Now, most guys would have taken that and they'd say, okay, cool. Well, she's got a decent shape and I could still go out and play around too. Well, here's the problem I saw. I said, this is going to be problematic because she has low self-esteem, which means that it's going to be very hard for me to respect her because of how low she has put herself in this particular position. And then she goes on to tell me, well, you know, we only have to have sex twice a month. I'm fine with that. And if you want to bring a girl home, I'll be with her. But the thing is, is that let me know what's going to happen. And I'm saying to myself, that sounds good, but that's a little bit too too convenient. The damage had already been done. She had been used and abused in past relationships, and she had thrown up her hands. And I asked her, I said, well, what would happen if the opposite occurred where a guy was appealing to you? She said, well, I'd probably sleep with him and wouldn't tell you. She thought I'd be cool with that. She says, after all, I'm giving you the leeway in order to be with any woman you want to, and I just don't need to know about it. And I don't think you need to know about the guys I'd be with. I'm like, nope. Mm -mm. But that was her way of coping in the past with relationships. And I knew she wasn't ready. She wasn't emotionally ready for a relationship. What she wanted was someone just to be there. So if she needed them for comfort or something of that sort, they'd be conveniently by. You have to watch the situations that people allow you to get into with them. Her boundaries were very low, which meant that not only could I pretty much get past them, so could anyone else on the street. So you have to make sure you have your boundaries and your standards within place. And some people just do not. Now, one other thing, I'm going to read this from Liz. I'm a white woman. I'm 39 years old. I have two sons. And my life has been going pretty well. The problem that I'm having now is that I'm dating my first African-American man ever. It's a challenge. Not because he's black and I'm white, but because there are some issues that I'm getting sick of and it's irritating me. Maybe in some way he could listen to your podcast and get the message. So please, if you get a chance, I would love for you to podcast this so that he can hear from your words, because what I'm resonating is not gelling. Let me tell you what it is. Every time something's going on in the news, he's always asking, were they black? I am so sick of that question, I don't know what to do. So now I don't even talk to him about the news, he just has to go and look it up on his phone, and it's impacting our conversations. Could you please talk about this? I would appreciate it. Liz, out of Fort Smith, Arkansas. Liz, let me tell you. 
he's definitely from the South. See, a lot of black folks used to do this, and I'm, I'm, I'm considering that he's probably older than you are. They used to worry about a black person messing things up for them. That's the reason why they want to keep score. Oh, you know, yeah, that's stereotypical. White folks do stuff like that. That's stereotypical black folks. Do. It's like they're keeping a damn scoreboard, and it's pointless. Because what they don't realize is that back in the day before you had the internet, the assumption was only certain people did certain things because that's all they saw. Now, you go into some of these communities online, Facebook and different places, you're finding people that you would stereotypically think that people weren't into certain things, and they are. Hell, I remember a long time that they didn't believe that black people were in the S and M and B and D. Hell, I was almost of that opinion until several years ago when I started running into a lot of African American women and men who were into that lifestyle. Been in it for years. There is not a facet in American culture, American society, that you've never had any kind of uh, enculturation where one group comes in from another and gets in there. The thing is, it's not popularized. It's not trending. It's not on a larger scale, but it exists. I remember watching shows like the Ed Sullivan Show back in the day, and they would have artists on like Stevie Wonder. Or they would have someone singing a song. And what we had to hope for as black people was that they didn't mess it up because after all, we were seeing our representation on television. And people had a consciousness when it came down to that. And that consciousness was, didn't want this person to mess it up to make us all look bad that collective thinking. Well, here's the thing, and I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it. Even though it's Black History Month, we have been a collective failure, but we have been individual successes. And that's the bottom line. The same issues that we are complaining about now, we complained about even during slavery. The only thing that's different now is the context in which it's complained about, the era in which it's complained about. Not being treated equal, still there, same problem, right? The negative stereotypes associated with African-Americans, still there, hasn't changed. Black folks still vilifying white folks. And the segment of the white population still vilifying blacks. Still hasn't changed. So collectively, we've all failed when it came to race relations in this country. Doesn't matter what race you are, the whole nation got an F in that. The younger generation, the Gen Zs are trying to change that. 
they're like, fuck the, uh, the traditions. Let's turn the page on this and do something because we can't unring a bell. We can't go and redress the wrongs of the world. Only thing we can do is make things better. But you have a segment of the black population that's trying to reconstruct or rebuild the past instead of trying to go and lay new construction on the future. So these individual successes, such as Oprah Winfrey, such as uh, Michael Jordan, such as um, LeBron James, Jay-Z, Beyonce, all of these individual successes, Kanye West, even though some people have issues with him, he was still successful. And many, many others. African-American businessmen, many of you never heard of before. The guy that was over Beatrice Foods before he passed away. We don't look at those people as successes, for the most part. Many people in the community look at them as sellouts. They look at them as people that should have given back more. Instead of focusing on more people being like them so that there are no people that would have that disposition or attitude. And I'm saying this, and I'm not a Republican. I used to be a John F. Kennedy Democrat. But I had to leave the Democratic Party because it got hijacked. I damn sure not going to the Republican Party because they have very little to offer when it comes to my political interests as well. But that's been the problem. And these individuals are successful. And here's the thing. You have some people in society think that they could take their culture and their traditions and bring it into the mainstream and impose it on society. And society say, okay, we'll recognize it. We're going to recognize it in a patronizing way. So you can wear your your hair braided in the office if you want to or with dreads, no problem. Don't complain when we don't send you out for a sales call wearing that to a client that's a high-dollar client. So what happens, basically, your traditions hold you back. Your symbolism, your culture hold you back because you're still seeking universal acceptance and not realizing that the world does not have to accept you. They can tolerate you, but they don't have to accept you. And see, this is where we are right now, and that's the sticking point people don't want to talk about. Because if universal acceptance was so real, Guess what you would not have? All of these laws about race, people will be accepted for who they are at face value. And of course we know that's not the key. And so, what do we do? We get an adversary, white supremacy, right? And then you ask them to define it. A lot of them can't define it. They'll just say the system. They'll just say this. But what they don't say is it's based on individual perceptions of other people that are collectively gathered to have political movements and those kind of things. And that group of people is not the majority of any group. They're small. Just like the pro-blacks. 
They're small because they're factionalized. I've listened to many of these forums that they've had, many of them, plethora of them. And I've watched them argue over the simplest things. It's just like religion in the black community. Got all these different denominations of churches because they didn't like the way pastor so-and-so did this. So they branched off and had their own. Factionalization. And so those people who see these things, they're like, well, I'm not waiting around for some Messiah to come in and part the waters and make things better for me. I'm going to go out and take it on myself in order to do better for me and my family. And that's what these individuals are doing. And these people who are left behind are saying, well, why aren't they giving back to the community? Well, the thing is, those people that were successful are saying, you know what? Guilt is not going to work here because I had to work my ass off to get to where I am. And I'd be damned if I'm going to throw away everything I've worked for to give it away to someone who hasn't worked like I have. That's the way it is, and that's the way it's going to be forever. No matter what group you look in, nobody's giving back. They're doing things to help, but they're not basically turning over their wallet to everyone else. If whites are not doing it, Hispanics are not doing it, and Latinos are not doing it, Asians are not doing it. So the only people that are expecting this are us. And the problem is, it's not being done within the community. Because, see, here's one other thing that you probably have experienced, too. The person will get a pass because they're black. So, people will sometimes use race, if you're African American, like I am. They will use race in order to get close enough to you to do you in. How many times many of you have supported black businesses to make sure that you can help them out and they've fallen short on service. They've fallen short on reliability. And what do these people do? They go outside of the community in order to find someone who can provide the service. Just because you're black doesn't give you a pass to exploit me or to use me. And this is where people are growing up and realizing that what used to work back in the day when you had more of a collective success with black people has now failed in our modern era. And that's the transition he's going through. He's used to a situation where it was more of a collective effort for success. And it was very noteworthy because those efforts did work. They did yield results. But now, it doesn't. So what do we usually tout? Wall Street on Tulsa, right? Not understanding that most of those places were stores, shops, businesses just like they were in other small communities throughout the South that never got the notoriety 
Maybe not as big, but by the same token. That was not the only place that had been violated because of racial tension. There were many others in the South. And of course, as they discovered them, they would bring them to the forefront. But we're looking back, trying to reconstruct the past, when we need to also look at the future. You have all these HBCUs that are underfunded and underpopulated with students not going to them. So that they can educate themselves and get out of that cycle of poverty. An opportunity that was not offered to many African American people. I remember when my dad was talking about how happy he was when they started doing those land grant colleges back in the day. With the ANTs and the AMs, where they could finally get an education of some sort to help them along the way. And we take it for granted now like it's hmm, something we don't need because what we want is reparations in the monetary form as if that's going to solve problems. All thing we're going to do is just spend it and give it to the mainstream society, the very people that they talk against. That's where that money's going to wind up in Air Jordans, in jackets, in hats, in cars, material things. And then what's going to happen after that? After that's gone, there's going to be a request for more money. I think the biggest gift that could be given would be these land-grant colleges educate as many people as they possibly can. And that way, they can make the money after they graduate and go out and start their lives and in some cases be the first person to graduate from college and in some ways be the first person to make over 60000 a year and then say goodbye to the social programs that really messed the black community up for so many decades by taking the man out of the home. It could have worked had they left the gentleman in the home and he was willing to work while undergoing a program for child development so they would learn how to properly rear their kids, the fundamentals, and have some kind of apprenticeship and training program where these people, the father and the mother of the children, while providing daycare for them, could go through a five-year program to graduate, get on their feet, get a start in life 
to then get off the system permanently because they would have enough money to sustain themselves from their own employment. But what has happened, the government, for the most part, created this addiction with these social programs, which means that a lot of these individuals may never see a paycheck. They will only see money coming in from the government. You remember Ronald Reagan back in the 80s talked about the welfare queen, right? Used that as the poster child of what's wrong with America. But if they had a program like I described, there would be no welfare queen. There'd be no woman calling herself queen because her self-esteem would be high enough because she's making enough money that guess what? She can get a man who respects her in general and she'd have a better choice of man and her self-esteem wouldn't be so low to call herself a self-appropriated title. Nobody else calls themselves that except who? trans women and white women that call themselves queen of spades. This is something that is a quick and good fix for many of the social issues in this country. But people don't want to do it because people are making money with the way things are. So why change it? Because America looks for profit first, people second. There's no reason why we have should have these many people locked up in prison. But, again, America's used to cheap labor. Why do you think in the 90s all those companies went over to China to try to take advantage of the cheap labor, but not realize how much red tape they had to go through and how much regulation they had over there, and not only that, how much money it cost in order to get that cheap labor. A lot of them wound up with their head in their hand. But these are things we have to start thinking about because what has happened? We've become very destructive in our society. Think about it. There are places right now black folks live in and they're afraid to go outside. They were talking about defunding the police at the prompt of groups like Black Lives Matter that didn't live in those neighborhoods but talked about it. And then what happened? You look at Philly. You look at Minneapolis, 63% increase in carjackings. Same thing in Philly. Look at Chicago. They need to rethink their strategy. Collectively, a failure. Individually, they've been successful. That's the way it's been, folks. And until people modify their thinking and their behavior, we're headed down that desolate road of it getting worse. More in a moment, folks.
let's see what we have here in the mailbag from Denise out of Los Angeles. I'm just wondering, do your family members and friends get upset with you about some of the things you reveal on your show? If I were you, I would never reveal some of the things or talk about some of the things you're talking about. Just my opinion, not a criticism. From a 42-year-old gal in L.A. Hope you like the photo attached. Kisses. Well, Denise, here's the thing that's different between you and I. I've been doing this for years. So this doesn't faze me. I can't find comfort in your insecurity. See, like for instance, if I were in a relationship with you, I could never date you. At best, we could be distant friends because you would be the kind of person that would actually hold me back from success. In general. And I'm not talking about you personally, I'm talking about your behavior and the way you look at things. And here's why. For me, especially with family, friends, of course they get nervous because they don't know what you may reveal. But here's the thing I look at. If you did the right thing in the first place, (laughs) would you have anything to worry about? I have another ex of mine that's getting ready to start up her podcast. And guess what? I'm not nervous about the things she's going to say. We had an amicable relationship and an amicable breakup. You know, it was really funny. We actually threw a party for our breakup. It was the weirdest thing. I invited my friends, she invited her friends, and we threw a party. And it was funny. And our friends were trying to get us back together. And it was like, we were the one consoling them. They couldn't understand it. Why are you guys breaking up? You guys were such a nice couple. And we both said, well, we're going in different directions. She's going out of state to make a living. I'm staying here. And that's the way it is. Well, why don't you go with her? Why don't you stay here and find a job with him? And we wound up having to defend our positions of breaking up against our friends who were trying to see us together. And I said something that kind of upset some people. I said, well, look at it this way. At least you'll lose the benefit of us being together. Boy, you should have seen how serious they got. What do you mean by that? I said, we invited you to this party because we were happy we were breaking up. Because now she's going on to a future endeavor. And I'm going on to a future endeavor. But we never had to be mad at each other in that split. Because we got along so well. 
you would be surprised how many people brought up what I talked about when I said about losing the benefit of us being together. Oh, they wanted clarification, but then they started to justify, oh, no, we never, we never benefited from you guys being together. And then she chimed in on him and told her girlfriend, she says, remember when I first started dating him, how many times you wanted to go out with us because you didn't want to sit at home by yourself? Yeah, but that's different. She said, no, you benefited. She said, because had I been by myself, we wouldn't have gone out like that. And she started thinking about it. And that's the way it was. It wasn't said to be mean, but it was a reality that we had to face. See, sometimes people find sorrow in things when they are no longer benefiting from whatever advantage they have. Some people think that I'm crazy sometimes when I've enjoyed the benefit of being someone's friend and they're getting ready to depart and leave. I thank them for the times we were together and for the benefit and the joy they brought me, just like I do when a relationship doesn't work out between me and a lady. Because even though we may not have made it all the way, I look at the journey that we did accomplish not a failure, a continuation towards success. We would love to have the happily ever after at the end of our relationships, but sometimes we don't. Because there's only a small percentage of relationships that actually endure over time. And in a lifetime, people have on an average of three to five friends that are with them throughout their duration. Because we have to look at friends just like shoes. We outgrow them. And when we get to the final size that we usually wear, we find out there's not that many people. And so we have to think about where we're going. Why do we lose friends along the way? Sometimes because we're in a relationship and they wanted all that attention. And they may have been used to getting all of that attention from us at some time. Hanging out with buddies, hanging out with your ladies, hanging out with your girlfriends. They have access to you hanging out with family members they have access to you. And part of that benefit is taken away when you get involved in a relationship. And some people cough an attitude because of that. Try to shame you back into being in that same way you were before. And usually Believe it or not, these are the people that are hoping your relationship fails because they want you back in that same position you were in before. 
And what they're going to do is, if the relationship does fail, they're going to double down and tell you, I told you so. And they're going to make it where their argument holds more water and weight than your desire to pursue another relationship. They'll try to guilt you into being single. You know that old saying, misery loves company? Yes, it does. I remember one time I was attempting to date this lady. And I had met her and her mother. It was a nightclub. Mom was about maybe 40. And her daughter was 20, I think. And I really liked daughter. Daughter was really hot. And she took me to the side and she said, well, I'm going to let you meet my mom. She said, but here's the thing. She's going to ask you if you have any friends that may be her age that she would date. And she told me, she said, please tell her no. I said, okay. Just like clockwork, that's where the mother went. Yeah, I need to find me a man. Do you know anybody that's available? And... I was like, well, no, not off the top of my head. I had plenty of male friends that would have been available for it, but I wasn't going to tell them. I was abiding by the daughter's wishes at the time. What happened, I would say, the second week we got together, mom started becoming possessive of daughter. So I came over, and... What we were going to do, because she liked to go on the merry-go-round, so we were going to go out to Santa Monica Pier because they had the merry-go-round. You know, the big one where you could walk between the different horses and they had the little car in there. They had all kinds of stuff. And so the mother says, so you're just going to take my daughter away from her commitments and obligations. I'm like, damn, where did that come from? attitude totally changed and so she guilted her daughter into not going that night and she says well you don't need to be going anywhere because uh, we're going to have Bible study tonight and I'm saying to myself how the fuck are you going to have Bible study and I met both of you in a nightclub but I didn't say nothing all of a sudden she used that religious tip and the girl was like, well, yeah, well, you, you, you're welcome to stay if you want to. We're going to have Bible study tonight. But what her mother did, she realized that daughter was going to go out without her. And so she set that up. And she already had that in the cards because she knew that we were going out to Santa Monica Pier that night. And daughter was not going to stand up to mama. And I said, you know what? No, it's okay. I'll talk to you later. Then it got to a point, because she had her own cell phone. I called. Her mother answers the phone. And I'm like, well, she said, oh, well, yeah, I changed her number, and this is my number now. So I can relay messages to her. 
And I'm like, damn, this woman's going to be 21 soon, and you're treating her like a child. She tells me, you're not going to take my baby away from me, and hung up. You will deal with this, folks. You may wind up dealing with something like this. This young lady, and I was finally invited to her wedding years later when she was in her 30s. This young lady could not live her life. The man that she chose to marry was one that her mother chose for her. She really liked the guy. And I'll never forget it. The day of her mother's funeral, she called me up that evening and I couldn't attend at the time because I was out of town. And she told me, you know, in a way it's bittersweet. I loved her, but I'm glad she's gone because now I can live finally because she controlled all the aspects of my life. Mom passed away a week after her death. She petitioned for divorce. She had three children with this guy and was miserable throughout that whole marriage. But she was so used to pleasing and appeasing her mother, she thought that was the norm. I'm telling you, people will try to control your relationships. And sometimes we give a pass because family's doing it. Nope. It's your life, not theirs. Not theirs at all. You know, it reminds me of that situation where that gentleman got drafted. And he was trying to say where he wanted to go out of high school. And he wanted to go to Florida. Well, the mama wanted him to go to Tennessee because the people had really did their PR work on her. They had really, I think it was Tennessee, they had really hyped her up. Booster Club, all these other folks. So he signed to go to Florida. And the mother showed out upset. She was looking out for her benefit over his. He was looking to be at peace with himself in a place where he could do the best job. And she wanted him to go to Tennessee because she had been manipulated. Again, Overly sensitive people are very easy to manipulate. Always remember that, folks. You will see it. You see it in our society now. I guarantee you, I could probably go and open up a GoFundMe and save something and have something ridiculous like save the chipmunks. 
Just put that out there. Just save the chipmunks. I have a picture of a chipmunk. I guarantee you I'd probably get more funding for that than I would if a person was homeless and I was trying to get funding for them. That's how bastardized our priorities are in our society. It's like the guy when Tom Brady and they were winning the Super Bowl back to back. And he was going to throw a Super Bowl party and didn't have enough money for beer. Don't you know this man raised over a million dollars? Just for that on GoFundMe. And you have people with burial expenses. Then people won't even give them a dollar. It's really sad. It's pathetic. <clears throat> but that's the way it goes. Unfortunately. Well, folks, I thank you for listening. February 19th, 2022. More tomorrow, more to come. Now, we're still thinking about what we're going to do in March. You can leave us a message, let us know at anchor.fm backslash romantic truth backslash message and you can record a message as far as the question is should we do the daily podcast should we continue that or should we look at doing it maybe three times a week Think about it and respond accordingly. Thank you much. Take care. Romantic Truth would like to take this opportunity and applaud our listeners and over 40 countries for their support. If you need someone to talk to in regards to help, you may contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255, available 24 hours. All correspondences read on the show have been pre-screened and pre-approved by the submitter to be aired on the show. The views and opinions of this podcast does not reflect those of Romantic Truth, Anchor, Spotify, or any of its affiliates. The opinions expressed are solely those of the host and guests, and should not be deemed as professional guidance, advice, or a professional practice. In the event you may need professional assistance, contact your local federal, state, or county agencies for specific assistance in social services, family counseling, or mental health services. For all medical, legal, and financial services please contact the appropriate licensed and certified professionals within your region. The music that is provided on this podcast that is not provided by Anchor is used under waiver by Jaws and One Music for fair use. Please be advised that the content of this podcast is under copyright by Romantic Truth and James Adams.